I don't normally do this, um, but I wanted to share a little bit. Some of you know that I travel quite a bit with our, the ministry I work with, and so I wanted to share from our last trip just a few pictures as to what I do when I'm gone. Um, the first one here is a, a group of Iranians that I had an opportunity to train. Now, when I go to train, sometimes it's training in actual church planting. This group here are thinking about church planting, so they're kind of early on in the stages. So I did some, some initial training, but not deep training as much with them. As a matter of fact, the, the taller gentleman standing to my left had just given his heart to the Lord. Um, we discussed that with him to try to figure out exactly what was going on. And uh, we baptized him that week right after the training. Had opportunity after that to talk with his sister for about two and a half hours. And uh, she's saying now that she wants to be baptized. I would show you the pictures of the baptism, but they made us, uh, we went in a spa and they made us take our shirts off and wear uh, swim caps. And so I kind of felt like I was in a Monty Python movie. Um, so I didn't, I'm not showing the pictures of the actual baptism. But uh, here's a picture of us praying with him prior to his baptism. So I thought I could show you that and it not be quite as embarrassing as the other pictures. And then the next two days after that, we had an opportunity to do some further church planting training with some Azerbaijanis. If you'll go to the next. Uh, this was a large group that are, most of them are already doing church planting. Some of them are still kind of thinking about it. But we're just trying to give them some better training. So we talked about... In our church planning, we talk about evangelism and then establishing people in their faith, equipping leaders, and extending them out to church plant. And so this was a focus on what does it mean to establish them in their faith? What does it mean to be the church? And so I uh, did a training with these guys. Then I went on a 12-hour train ride to the Republic of Georgia and had opportunity to train this group in the same thing that I trained the Azerbaijanis. And so... That's what I was doing for the last week and a half, um, then a 33-hour trip home. And so, uh, so when, when I travel, it's not that I'm just going and hanging out on vacation and doing those kind of things. Uh, most of the time, I am working 24-7 when I'm there. So, um, but as we get into Romans chapter 8 today, we have been going through the book of Romans now for a while. We took a couple of weeks off there where we did our outreach in the park and different things. But I want us to come now to Romans chapter 8. And it, as the Lord has it, this is really a great passage for Easter Sunday. Because it talks about what Christ has accomplished for us. Now, I have a question for you as we get started. How many of you know someone who used to be totally sold out for the Lord and are now walking a totally different path. You know, we all know somebody. I can remember in high school, you know, people, man, they were fired up about the Lord, and they graduated and went off to college, and, and life just changed, and they decided they didn't, didn't want to do that anymore. And so I asked the question, why is that? You know, I think part of it is the excitement when you're in a group of people and everybody's pumped up about the Lord. For you to get pumped up about the Lord is easy to do because there's, there's all this excitement going on. And so, hey, I'm going to be part of this. I think a lot of times emotions get in play. You know, you, you, you're in a situation where 
everybody's doing emotional things. I remember as a youth pastor, we used to joke that, you know, you'd have a youth retreat, you take all these teenagers away from home for a week, and, and they meet a group, of, you know, you go two or three groups together, they meet some boy or girl from the other groups, they fall in love in two days, you know, and then at the end of the week, they're never going to see each other again, even though they go to schools like two miles apart. But they're never going to see each other again because it's the end of the week. It's the, you know, and so you play friends or friends forever, and everybody throws a stick in the fire, and everybody comes to know the Lord, you know. And so all you, you stir their emotions up, and so maybe that's part of it. I, I think part of it is, too, what we looked at at the end of Romans chapter 7 last week. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Because I think as we, we think about what, what Paul is saying in Romans, remember first three chapters we talked about the depth of sin in humankind. And then chapters 4 and 5, we talked about justification by our faith. And then chapter 6 talks about how we can overcome sin in our lives. But then chapter 7, we came back, Brian and, and Michael dealt with, you know, it doesn't, we're not overcoming sin. We're not dealing with it. We're struggling from time to time. And I think the problem comes, if you'll bring up that next picture there, is that we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, I think that's what happens with a lot of young people, a lot of people who say, I'm going to follow the Lord, and they make the same commitment to follow the Lord that they would make to go on a diet, to make to start exercising, to make to start reading more. Because I'm just going to commit myself to do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. That's what Peter did. Peter said, hey, Lord, I'm following you to the death. And the Lord said, yeah, yeah we'll see. You do realize in the next couple of days, you're going to totally deny that you even know who I am. You know, and so Peter thought, I can just tough it out. I can do this. The problem is we can't. And that's what Romans 7 teaches us. Is that we've been told in Romans 6, we can overcome sin in our lives. But then Romans 7 points out that this is not overcoming sin because we just decide we're going to do it. You know, we're, we're dead to the law. Just like a, a wife who is widowed, Romans 7 says, she no longer is bound to that husband. We're no longer bound to the law. And yet for some reason we think, that's how I'm going to follow the Lord. I want to follow the Lord, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to just abide by His rules. I'm going to abide by His rules. I'm going to do it. 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 And we can't do it. That's what Paul's saying in the end of chapter 7. I've decided I'm going to do this, but every time I decide I'm going to do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. And every time I want to do, you know, I decide I'm going to live the right way, I can't do it. And so now we come to Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law 
might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, a lot of people quote Romans 8, 1, almost in a justifying sin kind of way. You know, remember we talked about the end of Romans chapter 6, that idea that says, can't I just keep this one thing? Can I, you know, I, I want to, I'll give up everything else, but can't I just keep this one sin to myself? And Paul says, no, you can't. You know, that, that's not part of it. And so we come back to Romans 8 and we go, see, there's now no condemnation, so I can live however I want. I'm not going to be condemned in Christ Jesus. And that's not what Paul's saying. At the end of chapter 7, he said, woe is me. You know, I, I'm a wretched man, but praise be to Jesus Christ who gave me the answer. And he comes here and he says, this condemnation, you know, what condemnation is he talking about here? He's talking about the condemnation that he was dealing with in the end of chapter 7 that says, I'm going to do better, and five minutes later, I blow it, and so I beat myself up. I'm going to do better, I blow it, I beat myself up. I'm going to do better. He says, no, it's not that. There's a new law. Not the law of the Old Testament, but there's the law of the Spirit of life that has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's this idea that I can't do it, but in Christ's strength, I'm going to do it. In Christ's strength, I can do it. It's not up to me. And everything in us rebels against that. Because everything in us wants to be able to handle it ourselves. Not surrender to somebody else. We all do that all the time in every part of our lives. We want to be in control. But he says there's no condemnation. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. How? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. See, somewhere along the lines, we've been taught an error. And that error is, in the Old Testament, God gave a bunch of laws, and if you just obeyed every one of the laws to the the nth degree, you would be saved. That was never the truth. That was never the plan. It was not a bunch of laws that we just had to obey all of them, and, and we would be okay. The law, the Scripture says, was there to point us to the fact that we're all sinners. The law is that standard that shows us we don't measure up. It was never, if I just work my way up to the law, fulfilling the whole law, I'm going to be okay. No. James says you can't do it. And if you miss it in just one area, you've missed the whole thing. So the law was that standard. Remember when you were a kid, everybody doing the the limbo thing, you know? I never was real good at that. I cheated, you know, I'd lay down, roll underneath, or, you know, but, but there's that, that bar that changes heights. It's easy to do the limbo when the bar's right here, but when that bar moves, it makes it tough. And that bar of Scripture was always to the point where we would never measure up. We weren't going to make it. And the goal wasn't for us to try to make it. The goal was to point to us that we need somebody to help. And it says God did that. 
The law itself is good. Remember we saw that in the end of chapter 7. The law is good and righteous and holy. But because of our weakness, because of our sin, we can't measure up. And that's been the purpose all along, but God did what the law could not do. How did he do it? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. You know, we treat Christ sometimes and his death as if he was a martyr. As if he, somehow he got tricked into being crucified. Somehow he was minding his own business and they came and arrested him and dragged him off and kicking and screaming to be crucified. If that's the way you believe it, then go back and read the Gospels. Because very early on he says, you know what, we're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to arrest me, they're going to crucify me, and three days later I'm going to rise again. And it says, when the time came, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He told Pilate, there, you have no authority to do anything to me except for what authority has been given to you. He went willingly to the cross. He was not a martyr. So Christ, by, God, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, that's the whole purpose. Christ came to give us the power to live the way he's called us to live. And we do that as we walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. As we trust him to give us the strength and the ability to do it, and not try to do it on our own. John R. W. Stott says this, The Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. What, what Paul's saying here in the first part of Romans, if you think you can measure up, if you think you can just decide to do better, you're mistaken. It's impossible for you to do it. But God has made a way for you to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit living in you and animating in what you do and, and just directing how you live. So the first thing he teaches us is we have a transformed standing before the Lord. This is, uh, transformation is the word we've got to understand. That we have been changed. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? That you're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, I didn't show you a picture of the baptism. But the guy that was standing there, that was my translator into Farsi, moved here in 1975 to convert people in America to Islam. He was excited when the Ayatollah took over in Iran because now Islam's going to be in control and not the Shah of Iran. And yet God got a hold of him and changed his life. I can remember in, in my late years of high school, 
Iran was the enemy. I mean, they took captive a lot of our people at our embassy and held them captive for over two years. They were the enemy. And yet I'm sleeping in a room, I'm in one bed and Safi's in the other by a guy who used to be my enemy. But you know what? Now, according to Ephesians, we are one new man. We have been made into one. We're no longer enemies. Why? Because both of us, at some point in time, became new creations. And because of that new creation, now we have a transformed standing. We can stand before the Lord not condemned. We can stand before the Lord holy and righteous and good, not based on who we are, but based on who Christ is. We also have a transformed walk. God not only changed who we are, He changed how we live. He changed the way that we can be who we're called to be. John Stott says this, The, f- the flesh renders the law impotent. The Spirit empowers us to obey it. This is not perfectionism. It is simply to say that obedience is a necessary and possible aspect of Christian discipleship. Although the law cannot secure this obedience, the Spirit can. What he's saying here and what Paul is saying is we could never measure up to the law. That was never going to happen in the Old Testament. And now because of Christ and because the Holy Spirit lives in us, We measure up and we can live and walk in the way that we're called to walk. We can do what He's called us to do because of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. See, if you end your study of Romans in Romans chapter 7, you're going to be a miserable individual. But Romans 8 gives us that power and that understanding of what it means to follow Christ in His power and in His strength. It changes us. Then we go to the next few verses, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we talk about this, we use this terminology in the flesh and in the spirit, and we, we don't quite, you know, it becomes a, a churchy talk. But we don't quite understand what he's saying here. But what he's saying is, what controls your thoughts? What controls your everyday life? If your everyday life is controlled by what makes you feel good and what controls your, is controlled by your sinful desires, then you're walking in the flesh. If your everyday life and thoughts and, and focus is on what Christ wants, then you're walking in the Spirit. That's the, the distinction here. There's a difference. There's a change in who we are. There's a change in how we walk. And you know what? If you're a believer and the majority of your life is focused on your sin and doing what you want to do and how you want to live, 
it says you are hostile to God. You're his enemy. You're fighting against him. You cannot please him. That's why a lot of people start following the Lord and then decide they don't want to do it anymore. Because they really want to focus more on, on having a good time. They really want to focus more on and catering to their own sin. Rather than living the way that Christ has called us to live and in his power. And so we, we begin to focus here. And the more you focus here, the more you're going to be in trouble. You know, we were in, the, in Azerbaijan. It was funny. Safi and I kept battling back and forth as to who was going to sit in the back seat of the car. You know, and finally I told Safi, I said, Safi, it has, I'm not trying to be a good servant and sit in the back seat. It's just the way they drive. If I sit in the front, I don't have enough underwear for this trip. <laughs> you, know, you know, because my, I'm focused the whole time on, these cars are stopped in front of us. You do realize that, right? These cars are stopped. It's time to run brakes, time to run brakes, you know, and I, I'm, I'm stressed the whole time. But, but that's where my focus was. I'm not focusing on, are we going to survive? I'm focusing on, on can, are we going to hit this car? You know, and so I, I can't concentrate on anything else. And that's how we get sometimes. We get so focused on our pleasures and our sin and all of that that we can't see Christ anymore. We're focused here. And we cannot walk according to the Spirit when we're doing that. We've got to keep our focus. What does Paul say in Philippians to think on things that are pure and lovely and of good reputation and excellent. To think on those things. Let that control your mind. Larry Richard says this, We must reorient our whole approach to life so that we seek to be responsive to God, to God the Spirit, and rely on Him rather than seek to keep God's law and rely on our own strength. You see, there's two groups here. If you'll pull that up for me. Two groups here. One group is walking in the flesh. One group is walking in the Spirit. If we continue to walk in the flesh, it brings death. You say, well, I've lived in sin for a long time. I ain't died yet. Still, still kicking. How's your walk with the Lord, though? You've died in that sense. You no longer are alive to what Christ is doing. You're now focused on death and destruction and misery. Though you think it's fun, you're focusing on death. But life in the Spirit, I mean, walking in the Spirit brings life. If we walk in the flesh, we're at war with God. If we walk in the Spirit, we're at peace with God. If we walk in the flesh, we're pleasing ourselves. If we walk in the Spirit, we're pleasing God. Now, realistically, if we're doing what we're called to do and we're following the Holy Spirit, even pleasing God will be pleasing to ourselves eventually. But where the focus is, is pleasing God. And He will bring that joy and that strength. Alan Johnson says, To set the mind on the things of the flesh or spirit means to have one's thoughts, desires, and constant yearning toward either the life of the flesh or the life of the spirit. In this struggle, we either take the side of the flesh or take the side of the spirit. That easy. 
Which one are we doing? I don't want you to answer out loud. But which one are you doing? Are you taking the side of the flesh? Are you taking the side of the Spirit? Christ has called us to be transformed. Not only a transformed standing and a transformed walk, but He's called us to have a transformed mind. To think differently. He says in Romans chapter 12, which we'll get to in a few weeks, that that we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. We get transformed minds. We begin to think differently. Then verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in, in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Andy Stanley says this, Character is the will to do what's right even when it's hard. Character involves doing what's right because it's the right thing to do regardless of the cost. See, following the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to to guide our lives transforms our standing, it transforms our walk, it transforms our minds, it transforms our character. See, it's not even a matter of saying, everything you see about me I'm following the Lord. But when I'm by myself, I do my own thing. You know, I can, I can pretend here, but, but here, you know, I can hide and be myself and, 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 and have my little thing that I keep over here by myself. That's not character. That's not integrity. That's pretending. That's where we get the word hypocrite. The actors who wore a face mask to pretend to be something they're not. You know who make good actors? Liars. I mean, you know, realistically, your whole life is pretending to be somebody different. And if you're real good at pretending, you're a good actor. And yet we do the same thing at the church. And I've heard people say, well... You know, we want you to be honest when you come to church. And and so we say, how are you doing today? Well, they just verbally vomit all over you. And you go, I didn't really, you know, I really wasn't asking that. I'm sorry. But, you know, it's not a matter of being nice. It's a matter of being different. That Christ has changed who we are. And that we're the same person at home. We're the same person by ourselves as we are in this building on Sunday mornings. That's a transformed character. That's changing who we are. Let's go back to what the passage says. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's Easter Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection. 37 friends and family members I've buried 
And there hadn't been a single one that's come back. Never stood at a funeral, and they sit up. Oh, just print, just playing. I was just kidding. No, but Christ came back. And the same Spirit who raised him from the dead, it takes a lot of power to raise somebody from the dead. That same Spirit lives in you and me if we're believers in Christ Jesus. That same power that raised him, and you say, I just can't live the way he's called me to live. Then you're not relying on the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Because if you were, you can live the way he's called you to live. Now see, the thing is here in this passage, there's really three options here as to understanding the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 9 that you're walking, you, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. See, it may be you're not living in life in the Spirit because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered to Him and asked Him to come live through you. And if that's the case, you can't do it. You may be living in this spiritual poverty because you don't have the Holy Spirit. But He says, if you do have the Holy Spirit, there's some things you need to understand. It may be that you just have no clue that you have the Holy Spirit. Nobody's ever told you that before. Remember Paul talking to the Ephesians. And he says, were you baptized? How were you baptized? We were baptized with the baptism of John. Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? No, we hadn't. There's a lot of people who haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be charismatic to only hear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a biblical concept, is a biblical person that we need to surrender to. But maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of such. So... Maybe today's the day to say, I want to surrender to the Holy Spirit to to guide my life. Or it may be that you've never really thought through the fact that because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have the same power available to you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So therefore, you do have the power to overcome. Is it easy? No, it's not. Even Paul said in the last part of chapter 7, it's a struggle day in and day out. But the more you win, the easier it is the next time. The more you give in to sin, the easier it is the next time to continue to give in to sin. Is this walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit? Paul says in Romans chapter 6, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's not religion. It's not church. It's not a New Year's resolution to do better. It's a surrender to the power of God in your life to change who you are, to transform your standing, to transform your walk, to transform your mind, to transform your character. That's what we're about. That's what this day is about. Jesus didn't rise from the dead just to put on a show. 
He rose from the dead to give us newness of life. To change who we are. To give us the power to fulfill the way He's called us to live. To, to fill us with His Spirit so that we are new creations. 